A very good morning to all of you. Some of you are still waking up. Let's try again. Good morning. Thank you very much. That's better. Uh, so good to be back at JICF. Uh, my name is John Ng. I'm a good friend of uh, your, the elders here, Pasupano, uh, Michael, uh, Henry, and uh, so many good friends here that I feel so much part of JICF. And uh, we tr tr uh, truly want to, uh, I want to thank them for giving me this opportunity to come and share with you again. Um, I also want to thank Joe and the music team for leading us into worship. Uh, these are what I call the Philo people. First in, last out. Right? First in, uh, they come in earlier and the last one to get out. So let's give them a round of applause uh, for their dedication. Uh, and also the media team behind, they are the one who will get big, bigger mentions than me because they make me look good, they make me sound good, and they are the ones who are very hardworking, all the ushers. So let's thank them, let's thank them for uh, the work that they have been doing for the church. We are very grateful. Uh, let's see whether my uh, slides are okay. Great, thank you. <clears throat> This morning, I want to deal with a very difficult subject, seldom talked about in the church. It's about your weakness. It's about your weakness. Uh, we are often told <clears throat> by leadership gurus to leverage on your strength until your weakness becomes irrelevant, right? It's read. Difficult to deal with people's strength than to deal with people's weakness. So they tell you, focus on your strength, make use of your competence, and then you can become a better person so that your weakness becomes irrelevant. This is a common wisdom. But the truth of the matter is that our weakness always stays with us. It's just not reviewed or not recognized, but it's always in us. But every weakness has its, every strength has its weakness, right? Morgan McCall, a Harvard professor, did a study of high flyers and talked about how CEOs get derailed in a career. They can be very successful as a COO, and when they become promoted to CEO, they get derailed. And they find that, he found in his research, there are two critical factors. First factor is that their strength became their weakness. The strength became their weakness. And he found that an overutilized strength becomes a weakness in your life. And so, to give an example, we all love and want to find people who are very committed to the organization, right? We are looking for committed people because there are too many people who come and go. We want people who are committed. But com overcommitment may lead to defining your whole life in terms of your work. We are very committed to your work. So everything is about your work. And secondly, you can neglect your marriage and family because you are so committed to your your job, your career, your ambition. And then you expect others to do the same. 
That's why employees look around and see whether your bosses are still around at 8 o'clock. They dare not leave because the bosses are still there, right? They expect others to do the same. And also, they are being willing to do almost anything, to, including questionable activities because of their commitment. I'm very committed to the work, but I can do things to get to my career path, ambition, or get the gains that I want. And then finally, you treat people as means to an end because your work becomes more important than their lives. So, strength becomes weakness. The second thing that happened to leaders is that their weakness is often overlooked and uncorrected. So you discover your weakness, but you don't correct them. And then it comes and haunts you. So that... People say, focus on your strength. So you become, oh, if you're very driven, you're very passionate, focus on your strength. But then you can become very arrogant. Right? You're very successful, you're very arrogant, and you don't recognize your weakness. And it only leads to blind spots. And people won't tell you, because everybody focuses on your strength. But there are blind spots in your Strength, am I right? And you neglect the weakness. And blind spot later on leads to blindness because everybody knows except you. The net effect, once effective leaders become increasingly out of touch with reality because they think they are very good and become less effective and they destroy themselves. So, follow my logic. If every strength can become a weakness, I want to suggest to you that every weakness can be a strength. Every weakness can be a strength. And this is the extraordinary transforming grace of God. So what do we mean? And I want to ask you to read with me from... 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 to 9, uh, 6 to 10, and then for, verse 14. I'm going to invite you to stand and read this passage with me together. Uh, you know, in the Jewish community, whenever the Word of God is read, the people of God stand to remind them that this is God's Word to us. So shall we all stand and let's read together this passage. Okay? Ready? One to go. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I will be speaking the truth. But I refrained. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, 
in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, verse 14, now I'm ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for the children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expand myself as well. If I love you more, you will love me less. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for life with our strengths and weaknesses. Speak to us today to help us recognize that our weaknesses can be our strength. Speak in a way only you know how because you know how weak we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. First, why, how can your strength become your, uh, how can your weakness become your strength? First of all, weakness help us appreciate our humanness. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We do not know exactly what Paul meant when he talked about the thorn in the flesh. Some scholars have thought that he might have some illness that he could not get rid of. Some thought of it as the insults that people threw at me. He had been reaching out and then people, you know, don't follow him and keep rejecting him. It's a thorn, right? And you try to be good, to help, but people reject you. It's all about persecution. He went through all this. Why? Why should people persecute him for the truth? Or it could be some kind of uh, emotional issue that he's facing. We do not know. We don't have to speculate. Whatever weakness, he said, is a thorn in my flesh. It's eating me up. It says, we are tormented. <laughs> tormented. Emotional angst. An agonizing experience. Every time you're facing it, wow, it's so painful. Emotionally, mentally. You see, in our weakness, we recognize not only we are foilable creatures, but weakness helps us appreciate that we are human. We are not supermen, superwomen. We are ordinary human beings. And you know, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that Jesus chooses human, ordinary human being to serve his cause. He's not looking for superman and superwoman. Do you remember the story? After Jesus died on the cross, he was crucified. And then what happened? Where were the disciples? We read on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Imagine the group of disciples. You are one of them. Your master has been taken away. He had been crucified. The one that you thought would have helped you and rescued everybody, he's gone. He's died. What, what do you do? You are so scared. You are discouraged. Maybe you feel disillusioned or you're dismayed. Maybe it's all wrong. So what do you do? You hide. You hid in the upper room for fear of the Jewish leaders. Because the next one is coming after you. They have taken away Supano, Michael. Now they are coming after you. Imagine that, right? It's real. What did Jesus say to them? What were the first words? Peace be with you. Shalom. Shalom. It's okay. I still love you. I still love you. I'm still, Shalom is what? I'm still with you. I've not left you alone. Imagine if you were Jesus, your closest disciples were not even there at the cross. Only John was there. And then where was Peter? He had denied you three times. What would you do? Peter, what happened to you? You were so great. You said you will follow me. You denied me. You have given them a big scolding, right? Like all parents love to do. But what did Jesus do? Peace. Peace. I'm still with you. You see, my friend, Jesus wants to use ordinary broken people to serve his cause and his mission, not supermen and superwomen. You know how I know? After he said, peace be with you, what is the next sentence? Even as the Father has sent me, so send I you. God uses ordinary broken people, my friend. You and I, if you feel like you are such ordinary, you feel like a failure, you feel discouraged, you feel that things are not going your way, you feel like you're giving up your faith, you have all kinds of doubt, Jesus said, peace be with you and I'm going to use you. That's the reality, that the power of the gospel. Why? Because only broken people know how to connect with other broken people. Those who have gone through marital suffering and pain will understand the pain of marital brokenness. Those who are going through depression will understand people who are in depression. Right? Jesus wants to use you. Look at the bunch of disciples that Jesus used. Peter, the point leader, had a big problem with his mouth and was a bundle of contradictions. Andrew, his brother, was quiet and behind the scenes. James and John were given the name Sons of Thunder because they were aggressive, hot-headed, ambitious, 
and intolerant. Philip was skeptical and negative. He had limited vision. How to feed the 5,000? We can't do that. Summed up his faith when confronted by the problem of feeding the 5,000. Nathaniel Bartholomew was prejudiced and opinionated. Can anything come out of... Right. Matthew was the most hated person in Capernaum, working in a profession that abused innocent people. Thomas was melancholic, mildly depressive, and pessimistic. Show me your hands and your feet. James, son of Alphaeus, and Judas, son of James, were nobodies. The Bible saw, says nothing about them. Simon the Zealot was a freedom fighter and terrorist in his days. Judas the treasurer was a thief and a loner. He pretended to be loyal to Jesus before finally betraying him. Can you identify with any of this? Jesus chose the twelve. A professor was teaching in the seminary and he was talking about how Jesus chose his disciples. One of the students raised his hand and said, Prof, can you tell me why in the world did Jesus choose Judas when he knew he was going to betray him? The professor said, I don't know why Jesus chose Judas as his disciple, but I have a bigger problem. I don't know why Jesus chose you. He said, I've even, big, even the biggest problem is why did Jesus choose me? Have you not betrayed Jesus before? Have you professed to be following Jesus, but you do your own way and your own thing? Weakness tells you that you and I are human. But God still uses you. Secondly, weakness keeps us humble. Before this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1-5, Paul was talking about all the wonderful revelation. He was caught up in the third heaven, seeing all kinds of fantastic vision. But what did he say? Even if I choose to boast, I will not be a fool to tell you all these wonderful things because I'll be speaking the truth. But I refrain from telling you all these wonderful visions and third heaven experience. So no one will think of me more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of this surpassingly great revelation that he received. You know, sometimes we boast about all these things, right? Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given this thorn in the flesh. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you. You see, success and strength can make you arrogant and proud. If you are very successful all the time, you're 
building your business, growing your business one after the other, and when you are doing so well, you think you don't need God. You are God. I'm successful because of what I've done. And my friend said that. My boss tells me that. You become... Your head becomes too big. <laughs> Bigger than your heart. But weakness and failure keep us humble and human, right? So when we fail... Then you say, oh my God, I thought I got everything. Oh well, oh it. I can do everything and then suddenly you say, wow, COVID hits us. Oh my God. My health gives way. You're working so hard, suddenly got a heart attack, then you're hopeless. Am I right? Weakness and failure point, make us humble. Make us humble. Humility also makes us less judgmental of others. You know, when you're very successful, you can tell, ah, you see, you did wrong. You know, you see, I told you I'm good. You should follow my way. But when you fail, you're less judgmental, right? And that's what happened to Paul. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I'll be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. Before that, Paul was very judgmental. The Corinthian church was a, a one of the most havoc church, you know. Incest, cliques. But now he said, after the thorn in the flesh, I become not judgmental by Bilam. I'm grieved because I'm part of you. <laughs> I'm grieved. I want to share with you the story of Jim Baker. How many of you have heard of Jim Baker? May I see your hand? Quite a number of you. Are. I think the older ones. Huh? Jim Baker, TV evangelist, started PTL Club. Praise the Lord Club in the 19, since the 70s. Then in the early 90s, he built Heritage USA, which was supposed to be the Disney uh, land for Christians, you know. And his contribution every week was more than a million. In 1984 to 1988, annual salary of $200,000. Jim awarded himself over $4 million in bonuses. The assets included a house in Palm Spring, four condominiums, and a Rolls Royce. PTL spent $100,000 for a private jet to fly the baker's clothing, uh, not, the clo not, not fly, clothing across the country. He spent $100 for cinnamon rolls every day because bakers wanted the smell of them in their hotel room. But he had a sex scandal with his secretary, Jessica Hunt. Now, some of you are looking at me very sceptical. You can Google, you can Google, okay? 
He spent 18 years in prison. He was granted parole in 1993. In 1996, he wrote the book, I Was Wrong. And this is where we got all the material from, from himself. He admitted he was more concerned about how to keep getting one million a week from donors than ministry. He was very successful. He was the biggest followers, TV evangelist. Wow. But he was more concerned about raising money than the ministry itself. He, and he confessed in his book, that he read the Bible all the way for the first time in prison. My goodness, TV evangelists never read the Bible. He made him realize that certain passages were taken out of context to back up his prosperity teachings. Then, Billy Graham visited him in prison. I think all of you know Billy Graham, right? <clears throat> Dr. Billy Graham was named uh, Man of the Year. But Billy Graham, when he was asked, how do you feel? He said, I'm like a tortoise on a fence post. What does that mean? Your fence, right? You think a tortoise can climb up the fence? Somebody put him there. He recognized it was God. But what did he do, right? Billy Graham visited uh, Jim Baker. And this is Jim Baker's testimony. Few days before, I heard he was voted most respected man in the world. Few days before, also, his wife, my wife, meaning Jim Baker's wife, was divorcing him. As though God was preparing him for the moment, the worst moment of his life in prison. When he came, I had the flu. I looked like a man who slept under the bridge. My hair was messy and old toilet cleaning clothes. Toes were sticking out of my shoes. I just finished cleaning the toilets and the guards came to get me. The guards led me across the compound. I thought I got into trouble because I was being taken to see the lieutenant, to go to the lieutenant's office. But they said, didn't they tell you that Billy Graham is here to see you? He was completely shocked. Billy Graham walked into the room and we arm outstretched, embraced me and said, I love you. We sat and talked. When he prayed, everyone else in the room prayed. He said, when you feel like you're worthless and then somebody like that comes, it's really shocking. He said, do you know how it feels for a most despised preacher to be embraced by the most honoured preacher at that time. As soon as I was released from prison, Ruth Graham called Salvation Army, halfway house where I was staying, and he asked permission for me to go to church with her, with her that Sunday morning. Ruth Graham is Billy Graham's wife. When they got there, the pastor welcomed me and set me with the Graham clan 
two whole rows of them. I had only been out of prison for 48 hours. The organ began playing and Ruth walked down the aisle and sat next to inmate 07407058, telling the world that I was her friend. Afterwards, Ruth had set me up to their cabin for dinner. When she asked for some addresses, I pulled out an envelope out of my pocket to look for them. It, in prison, we were not allowed to have wallet, so I just carried envelope. She asked, don't you have a wallet? And I said, oh yeah, this is my wallet. My envelope is my wallet. After five years of brainwashing in the prison, you think that your, your envelope is your wallet. She walked into the other room, came back and said, here's one of Billy's wallet. He doesn't need it. You can have it. The Grams even went further, sponsored me and paid for my house to live in and gave me a car to drive. Billy and Ruth Graham saw Christ in me and became later Christ to me. You see, my friend, weakness makes us less judgmental and more forgiving. Thirdly, weakness refocus us on God. First, help us recognize our humanness, make us humble. The third, perhaps the most important thing is help us to refocus our lives on God. Three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm sure it's more than three times. <laughs> Especially when you have a thorn in your flesh. <laughs> Every day you say, hey God, please help me, get rid of it. <laughs> three times is just a, 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 a euphemism you know, for many times. Right? It becomes a... Keep turning to God. Now, I have a question for you. Paul was praying, right? Lord, take this away. He was waiting for God to speak. Am I right? What do you think... He was waiting for. For God to answer his prayer. Why? How come like that? How come I'm so depressed? How come I, I go through this? Many questions, right? Maybe looking for answers. Maybe for deliverance. For guidance. Two weeks ago, I went for a silent retreat. Some of your elders will know it's very difficult to keep John from silent even for one hour. I'm an extrovert, super extrovert, out of the scale type extrovert. I, I survived four days of silent retreat. In a silent retreat, you cannot talk. Lunch also cannot talk. Dinner cannot talk. My wife was there, I cannot talk to her. 
So what do you do in a silent retreat? They're supposed to wait. <laughs> right? What is God saying to me? Imagine, huh? Normally when we eat lunch, I eat very fast. Singaporeans eat very fast. A nasi goreng, chakwetiao, we eat, finish, go. I always, I'm the first to finish all my food. But the elders at the silent retreat, they tell you to do what they call mindful eating. Oh, I've never heard of mindful eating. My meeting is, my, my eating is all mindless eating. Eat and go, right? Am I right? You understand what I'm saying, right? Unless some of you are very mindful in your eating, but I'm not. That means you take your food, you drink your milk, you drink slowly. Think of where the milk comes from. The cow. But who feed the cow? How about the grass? Wow. You take your bread. Who grows the wheat? How many hours will it take to eat, to grow the wheat? Think of the produce. Think of who makes it. We had to send to the factory. Ooh, wow, my food. Now you know why it took so long. You chew your food slowly, waiting. Do you know what I discovered? Actually, as we are waiting, actually, God is waiting for you. Let me explain. I'm waiting for God, right? But actually God is waiting because as Paul was waiting, God was telling him, my grace is sufficient for you. God is waiting to respond to Paul. So my friend, let me say this to you. Please, no need to wait for God anymore. God is waiting for you. Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's standing at the door of your heart every day. He's knocking. The question is, are you hearing Him? If you hear my voice and open the door of your heart, what is the promise? I will come in. To do what? To have a meal with you. To have nasi lemak. To have nasi padang. To have breakfast with you. Every day, he wants to have a time with you. And not only that, he, to remind you, he's with you. He's in you. To give you the strength to do what you know to what to do. Wow, that changed my whole perspective. Everything I'm opening now, every day I'm opening God. I want to open the door of my heart. You're, you're waiting for me. No, I'm waiting for you. I'm going to open the door. I'm, I want to, I, I'm hearing you. You are here. It's just that you're not listening. I'm here. Right? Jesus is here right now, every day, every moment of your life. Jesus is here. The question is, do you hear Him? 
Will you open the door? Lord, I'm having trouble with my life. Help me. Thank you, you're here. Remember what he said? Peace be with you. Peace with you. You're struggling with your weakness. You're struggling with the challenges. Will you open the door of your life and say, Yes, Lord, I open the door of my heart. I'm listening to you. Lord, I want to do what you want me to do, not what I want to do. Are you opening the door of your heart? I need you to talk to you. <laughs> He's going to have tea at Inter what? Plaza, Plaza Indonesia, you know. Don't need to wait for them. And I will come in. Are you waiting on God? Or is God waiting for you? You see, when God is the center of your life, everything else falls into place. When you put God, when you open the door, every door, your finance door, your property door, your business door, your marriage door, your family door, you open the door of your heart to Him. My friend, He will come in. He will come in. When you, when Jesus comes into your life, into your weakness, only then you can delight in your weakness because now you are pointing to God who alone makes all the difference in your life, my friend. The strength and the weakness don't define you. It's Jesus, your relationship with Him that defines you. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. In our weakness, we become vessels of God's power. So that the struggles that you have been having in your marriage and family and suddenly God breaks through, you say, God, thank you. It's not me. When you're dealing with business challenge, when you're dealing with financial challenge, and you don't know where to turn to, and then the breakthrough comes, it's like, God, it's you again. God's power is made perfect in your weakness, not without your weakness. Make sense? Wow. And so, the fourth thing I want to say, weakness help us delight in weakness. <laughs> First, shows you are human, make you humble, help you refocus on God. Only when you refocus on God, instead of your weakness, do you see what I mean? Instead of your weakness, you focus on God, then you can delight in your weakness because 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I can delight in weakness. When people insult me, it's okay. <laughs> because uh, I'm learning I'm human. In hardships, when I go through hardships, in persecution, when I, I try to do good and, and my boss and people don't accept me, in difficulties. And the final conclusion is what? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because weakness brings acceptance that I'm human. Weakness helped me realize I need to be humble. I cannot be too proud and arrogant. Weakness helped me now to recover from my condition. And then I, you know what? I experience grace. That's why Jesus said what? To Paul. Friends, my grace is sufficient for you. Chuko. My grace is chuko for you. My grace is sufficient. Chuko. That's all you need. Because my power is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Wow. Listen, my friend, this is the message of the gospel. What is the good news? That you can boast and delight in the worst situation because all you need is grace. You recognize it's not me. What is grace? Unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. <laughs> because you are such a sinful, broken people. <laughs> we are such sinful, broken. We don't deserve. We ought to be punished. We ought to be judged. We ought to be deserted. But what did Jesus do? Peace. Oh God, I hope you understand the grace of God. Last one, I think you think I will never end, but I better finish off. Weakness help us appreciate the gift of friendship. He was very unhappy with the Corinthian church. But now he said, now I'm ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you because what I want from you is not your possessions because you've been asking them to raise money, but I want you. I just want you to enjoy the friendship that I have with you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for So then after I receive your friendship, I receive, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expand myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? You see, my friend, there's one thing weakness brings to you. Friendship, right? You turn to your friend. The true friends are those who love you in spite of your weakness. They don't desert you. They don't abandon you. They love you. Then you re receive the gift of friendship, isn't it? 
then you know who are the true friends in your weakness. And because you have received the true gift of friendship, what must you do? You must expand to other people and give true friendship to those who are weak, to those who are suffering. Are you following me? Because love is reciprocal, true friends are those who love you, period. Like, like Jesus. Receiving and giving love. I have the opportunity to be part of this community since 14 years old. So I, what I'm sharing with you is not theory. I have three good friends. We've been together for 55 years. Here we are. I was the first one in 2005, very busy, successful. I suffered a heart attack, almost died. My left artery was 99% blocked. So I had one stand, two, two balloon. During that period, my friends stepped up and helped me. They cared for me. The next one, my other friend William, which is uh, on my right, on the he had cancer. He couldn't serve, but we all step up. Then the founder of Eagles, Peter Chow, I think he has spoken here before, the, the biggest, the bigger one, the bigger size one. Our eagle's motto is eat and grow like elephants to be like him. He had a heart condition, AFib. His heartbeat runs from 40 to 160 every day. He finally had a, a pacer for the last six years. But for three years, he couldn't preach, he couldn't do anything. He was recuperating. We all step up. We all still love. Remember bringing food to his house every day. Now my other friend, Michael, having family issues. We say, take care of your family first. Don't worry. We are there for you. We are all weak human beings. And so I want to tell you, you don't have to be perfect to serve. This is a beautiful picture. We are all weak. We all have our disabilities. We all have our weaknesses and failure, but we serve each other in the midst of our weakness and failure. You see, my friend, the story of egos is the story of the grace of God. We are who we are. And what we do today, even after 55 years, is the grace of God. 
because we do not let weakness kill us. It can be your strength. Let's pray together. What is your weakness today? What do you think is your weakness? Is it a health issue? Maybe it's a bad temper. It is some weakness that you have. Some difficulties, some relationship. Maybe you feel like your business is going down. You have people suffering from depression or health issue, whatever it is. What is your weakness? Maybe you've been trying to say, God, take it away. Take it away. <laughs> Remove it. Yeah, sometimes God does. But I think most of the time, Jesus is waiting for you. Are you going to hear and listen? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Truly, my grace is sufficient. Open the door of your heart to Him. He's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. Do you hear His voice every day? Will you open the door of your heart? And say, Lord, I hear your voice. I now open the door of my heart to you. And Jesus said, I will come in. And I will have a meal with you. I'm going to chat with you. I'm going to have a conversation with you. But are you listening? He's here. He's here right here every day in your life. And He said, I'm in you. I have the power. I have the grace. He may not take your weakness away, but He is going to help you in your, in your weakness so that you can delight in weakness. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. And God's power is going to be made perfect in the midst of your weakness. Tell Him, Father, I thank You. We thank You that Your Word never fails. There are many times in our life we try to sort it out. We try to get rid of it. But today You are reminding us, Lord, my grace is sufficient for You. My power is made perfect in Your weakness. Lord, today I open the door of my heart to you again that I've shut for a long time. Lord, please come in. Help me, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you are still available for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.